We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to Chasing Hardware, the podcast that sits down with the sports figures you grew up with and hears their stories. Welcome to Chasing Hardware. I am your host, Rich Lumello, and my guest today is two-time pro bowler, Super Bowl champ, part of what many feel is the greatest defense of all time. He retired as the leading interceptor and tackler in Chicago Bear history. He is still the leading interceptor in Chicago Bear history. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome Gary Fensick. Gary, welcome to Chasing Hardware. Great, thank you so much, Rich. And you know, uh, you know, also uh, got the uh, the gold record from the Super Bowl Shuffle. So I take so much grief from that over the decades that uh, you know, sure. it turns out that what we thought was a real lark became a lot bigger project than we realized. Oh yeah, and and not only gold record, if I if I remember correctly, Grammy nominated too. Yes, and platinum video. You know, I, I demonstrated that uh, you know white guys can't sing or dance. <laughs> <laughs> Got to be known for something. Absolutely. Um, well, Gary, thank you very much for joining. Gary's in Chicago, and I'm in uh, Summit, New Jersey. Um, Gary, you grew up actually in the Chicago area. You grew up in Zion, and and went to high school in Barrington, Barrington High School. That's correct. And uh, so you can imagine uh, one playing for your hometown team, but more importantly, winning a Super Bowl. Tough to leave the city once you accomplish that. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. Um, and going to Barrington High School, you're a football player and a basketball player, right? Right. Um, and you you ultimately you go to Yale. I know that, among others, you were you were choosing between Yale and the University of Wisconsin, where you had a full ride for football. Were yeah. there were there any other schools you were thinking of or you know, what was your choice there? You know, I looked at Harvard, Dartmouth and uh, Yale in the Ivy League, and then I had full rides to uh, Wisconsin and Minnesota. I had a classmate from Barrington. Uh, who was a, a one year ahead of me. So I went up to Minnesota. I really liked Wisconsin. I liked Minnesota as well. But for me, I wasn't that big. And I really wasn't sure that, you know, for me, it wasn't, oh, I really want to be in the NFL. And I just loved Yale. Uh, you know, I think Darwin Harbor, hey, those are great choices. But uh, I would say from the first visit, if I knew I could get into Yale, I was going there. Sure. 
And, and so you choose Yale. Now, let me ask in, in football, in high school, what was your position? Cause at Yale, you were a wide receiver. Obviously you're a free safety or you're a safety in the NFL. What, what did you play in high school? I was a wing back and a, and a cornerback. Okay. Yeah. Those wing backs, uh, you know, those formations and uh, the offenses in high school are a little different, but um, you know, we had a really good quarterback who got a full ride to Arizona State. Uh, we had a really good wide receiver who became a tight end up at the University of Minnesota. So uh, Barrington had a very strong tradition of having good football teams, and I was uh, part of some really good teams. Okay, got it. Um, and so then you go to Yale. You play for Karm Kaza, obviously legend, college football Hall of Fame. Karm Kaza himself went to Miami of Ohio, where he's part of that yep. cradle of coaches legacy. He played for Woody Hayes. Uh, he played for Eric Parsegian. He played with Bo Schembechler. Yeah. So, so you're you're being coached by you know a guy who is you know basically you know part of football royalty at this point. What was what was playing for Carm Cause at Yale like? Yeah, you know, Carm was uh, wonderful. I I really liked all the coaching staff, including the uh, person who recruited me uh, in the Chicago area. But the first time I met Carm uh, in his office, it was just as you know, I as you talked about, he was a very accomplished athlete. And, uh, but the most important thing was that he really focused on the Yale education. Yes, you know, you had uh, some greats before and some great teams uh, before I went to Yale. But what I came away with was one, I went to school uh, at Yale with seven freshmen from the Chicago area who were recruited for two years uh, to go to Yale. So my college roommate, uh, my current cardiologist, uh, these are people who have been lifelong friends, but we all kind of looked and go, hey, are you, you're going to go to Yale? And uh, so you had this really strong group going out there and then combined with CARM and talking about, you know, what they've done in the past, knowing what the Yale record was uh, before, you know, I went to Yale. And, uh, and just feeling very comfortable about, you know, what my potential might be at Yale University. Sure. And, and so you go there and he, he makes it, were you being recruited as a receiver or we could have gone either think, way? You know, I, I think you're just being recruited as an athlete. I was a defensive back, you know, so I, you know, they were saying, hey, you could play offense, you could play defense. I had right. this battle with Carm. I didn't really want to play wide receiver. I wanted to play defensive back and he wouldn't move me over there. And uh, right. I went to... I went to London for a semester. I was an English history major and came back and I told Carm, you know, I, unless you let me play safety, I'm not going to go back my senior year. And I, he said, you're too valuable to us at wide receiver. I did play my freshman year when they had freshman football. Sure. Uh, and I was a defensive back and I got to play on third down, which was great. I mean, that's actually probably one of the best positions you can have. You go in when they're going to have to pass the ball. <laughs> you don't have to block or anything like that. And uh, and the only team who went back to my freshman year was Miami. So I got drafted by the Miami Dolphins. They said, like, you're too slow to play wide receiver in the NFL. They didn't quite put it that way. But they said there's been some examples. Uh, Rex Kerr, who had played at Ohio State and then played, you know, he was a quarterback and he transitioned to play safety in the NFL. I said, oh, I would love to play safety. And so they drafted me. 10B, they don't even have 10 rounds anymore. 
And I, I was ecstatic about that opportunity. I mean, I, you don't go to an Ivy League school thinking you're going to get an opportunity to play in the NFL. So I didn't really care whether 10 rounds or I just knew that Miami had identified a position I thought I could play. And at least my best chance to play would be at that position. And uh, I ruptured my lung in the first couple of weeks down there and made it to the final cut, but I got cut. Right. Uh, but I was treated really well by, you know, Shula, uh, Bobby Beathard at the time, their GM. Uh, they had a, a safety who was from the Chicago area, actually a cornerback, uh, Tim Foley. And, uh, and this was the vestige. These were the last few years of the Bob Greasy undefeated Dolphin team. And uh, it was an honor to play for them. But they had Dick Anderson, Tim Foley. You know, yeah. They had that great defense from the 72 undefeated team. But, you know, Mercury Morris was halfback and Bob Greasy. Man, this was... No, this was royalty. So yeah, some some serious talent. And then like Jake Scott, yeah, about five minutes later, didn't he and uh, Shula have a, a, a run in and he got dealt to Washington or something? Well, that's like why that. I thought he made the team. He didn't come <laughs> the entire training camp. Oh, okay. He wanted out. And so, you know, Don Shula always announced all of the changes, cuts and everything else. And so it's Labor Day. It's the very final cut. And they say, we traded Jake Scott to Washington. I go... I made the team. Right. They so we traded for Salter, another safety, and I knew I was gone. Right. And I had a I was gonna I had been accepted into the Citibank management training program, it was a two-year program. They had allowed me to take a you know come a little late. And uh, I was on my way to become a baby banker in New York. Yeah, wow. And, and then... the Bears picked me up. And they had, you know, a lot of teams do this. I see it all the time one day tryouts in the event that they have injuries. And so I had that one day tryout in Chicago and I was going to Pittsburgh to do the same. And then I was going to New York. And as I was kind of scrambling to get out of, uh, out of the uh, facility in Lake Forest for the Bears, they said, oh, the general manager wants to see you before you leave. So I go in there and then they offered me a contract. I go, I couldn't believe it. Yeah. I couldn't believe it. It was uh, 10 minutes from where you grew up. Absolutely. <laughs> this, this was uh, great. Was it, was the general manager, was that Jim Finks? Yes, he was. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, so for the listener, I, I happen to be a, a Vikings and a Browns fan and Jim Finks in the NFL hall of fame for having built the Vikings teams that would go to a bunch of Super Bowls in the seventies and then leaves during that period and goes to Chicago and starts to, you know, kind of over the course of six, seven, eight years, put together the, the beginnings of that team that obviously wins it all in 85. Oh, there's no question. When you look at the number of first and second round draft choices that under Jim Finks, uh, the Bears had, it, it, it's a direct path to the Super Bowl. When you look at offensively, you have both tackles uh, were number one draft choices, Keith Van Horn, and then you've got... Uh, on the other side now in the Hall of Fame, Jimbo Covert. Uh, you got Walter Payton, uh, first round draft choice. Jim McMahon, first round draft choice. Uh, Matt Suey, our fullback, a second round draft choice. Willie Galt, a first round draft choice. And on the defensive side, two Hall of Famers on the line with Dan Hampton and uh, Richard Dent. And then you have uh, Mike Singletary, a second round draft choice. Oh, Wilbur Marshall and Otis Wilson, first round draft choices. Mike Richardson, our quarterback, a second round pick. I mean, it's it's amazing. We didn't have free agency. So you really had to rely upon the draft to develop your team. And uh, and Jim Finks and, and his scouting staff did an outstanding job. 
Yeah. Yeah. It's funny that that was something I was going to, um, I'll, I'll jump ahead to that since we're, since we're talking about it and then we'll circle back to a few things. Uh, the, you know, kind of the legendary draft, right. Everybody talks about the 74 Steelers. Cause you got Swan and Stallworth, you got uh, Lambert, you got Mike Webster, you pick up Donnie Shell in free agency, obviously hall of famers all over the place. And, and you win a bunch of super bowls, your 83 draft has got to be right there <laughs> in, in, in that draft. You pick up, like you said, you pick up covert, you pick up Galt, you pick up Richardson, you pick up Tom Thayer and Mark Bortz, you pick up Dave Dewerson, and you pick up Richard Dent. Holy that, that's, that's one of the sickest drafts, I think. I mean, that that's right up there. Richard, Richard was like a six-round draft choice. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, it was, I didn't realize those guys all one year. It, it was phenomenal. I could, when I was reading it last night, I was like, or, you know, whatever it was a couple of days ago, I was like, oh my God, I had no idea. It, you know, it kind of flies under the radar because everybody talks about that 74 Steelers draft. Uh, this, this one's right there. And ironically, that's in the, you know, the year of the quarterback, like there are documentaries being done on all yeah. the quarterbacks drafted that year. I would argue that the team that won the draft was you guys. Um, and I uh, that, you know, because of all those great young talent, when we won the Super Bowl in 85, people were, we were the youngest teams in the NFL. Right. And so you would expect, well, boy, these guys can really, you know, be around here for a while. Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, I saw a great quote from Dan Hampton that, you know, basically said, shame on us for, you know, it's great to win one, but shame on us for not, you know, kind of winning more. But yeah. I'm sure. Um, so, so you, you, so you get picked up by the 76, uh, 76 Bears. Finks is the GM. George Hallis is, is still, I mean, George Hallis passed away at the end of 83. So he's still very much a presence um, as at least as, you know, the owner of the team. Did you see much of him around the facility at that no. point? No. Okay. I think he made a, a conscious effort to not be there. Okay. Um, to not feel as though, you know, he was interfering. Um, I, it's a guess. I have no idea. He did visit us, you know, in the 12 years I played, he only visited us a couple of times, one of them. Uh, being uh, when Neil Armstrong, who had brought Buddy Ryan down from Minnesota, uh, Neil had been the defensive coordinator, and it just didn't work. I mean, I think that Neil, wonderful man, but he was used to dealing with real veteran players, Alan Page and Purple People Eaters and all of that. And we were a really young, undisciplined team. And, uh, you know, Buddy was a disciplinarian, but Neil, I think uh, it, it just didn't work. And so, you know, that led to, okay, what's going to happen? Alan Page was with the Bears for the last couple of years, and he had approached me and said, you know, what are you guys going to do? Uh, he was retiring. He said, you know, coaching staff's going to get fired. Uh, you guys, if you want to keep Buddy, you're going to have to do something. I was like, well, what do we do? He goes, yeah, they write a letter to the owner. I go, yeah, good luck. <laughs> yeah, maybe you should write that letter since you're not going to be around anyway. So eventually I, I wrote the letter, covered my butt, had everybody sign it, and sent this letter to George Howells. We didn't have an indoor facility, Rich, so we would practice back in the 70s. Oh, my God. We would bust down to Northwestern. We, would, we used to use the, lake, the city of Lake Forest, their parks. That, I mean, literally, their parks. We practiced in a forest preserve. Uh, that didn't have a dirt, it had a dirt floor. It was so dusty that we literally had to practice putting on handkerchiefs 
uh, <laughs> over our noses. And you're going, this is the NFL. It doesn't get any better. And we also practiced at the Great Lakes Naval Training Center, which was okay. built during World War II, which to this date is still the largest naval training center in the United States. Big, big uh, hangers. You could kick, you could punt of one negative cement floors. So if you had any knee problems or any joint problems, you came out of there just, the things would just kind of blow up. So it's near the end of the season. We know our coaches are going to get fired. We've written a letter and George Howell shows up at the Great Lakes Naval Training Center in his 80s. And uh, we had already broken up offensively and defensively. And he told our coaches, take a hike. And he told us that he had never gotten a letter like that before and that our coaches would be back next year. Wow. And so the offensive guys go, oh, what was that all about? Because he took off. He didn't go to the offense. They're like, okay, uh, the coaches. And you know what? So Neil was fired. The offensive coaches were fired. Buddy was rehired. And Mike Ditka inherited the defensive coaching staff, which was the beginning of this dynamic tension between offense and defense, between two big ego guys, Buddy Ryan and Mike Ditka. But that conflict, that tension really worked for a few years. And, uh, you know, I think it was probably best when Buddy got the opportunity after we won the Super Bowl to go and become the head coach of the Philadelphia Eagles. You know, I, that, that wasn't something, you know, today you assume anybody who's the O or D coordinator on these good playoff teams is being interviewed for a, a head coaching job. It wasn't necessarily the case back in the 80s, but you know, Buddy had told me, I think, you know, maybe a week before in preparation for the Super Bowl that he had gotten that job. I was scared to death to tell anybody else because, you know, I was a veteran. I was the oldest guy in the defense and uh, he trusted that I wasn't going to blabber my mouth. Uh, but, you know, it was it was still a really tough thing when he left. Yeah. Yeah. I remember um, reading that the night before the Super Bowl, offense and defense have broken up. You're down in New Orleans and, you know, in the defensive room, uh, Buddy walks in and basically says something along the lines of um, you guys are my heroes. And um, I, I think, the, I think the exact quote was no matter what happens, you guys will always be my heroes. And he walks out of the room and you guys turn back to the film for like three plays and Hampton kicks over the projector and McMichael takes a chair and throws it through the backboard yeah, that was it. Meeting was over. Yeah. I was, um, and that's all true. Uh, McMichael picked up one of those hotel chairs and hurled it, and it literally impaled into this chalkboard. I mean, it was it was amazing. You're like, how does it do that? I was just coincidentally sitting next to Singletary. I assumed that Buddy hadn't told uh, Mike, and uh, you know when Buddy. And he walked out, you know, hey, no matter what happens tomorrow, you'll always be my hero. He's, he's getting kind of emotional on it. And I just mentioned to Mike, I can't believe he's leaving. I looked at Singletary and I knew his eyes got like that. I knew he didn't know. And so I said, well, you got to expect that he's going to get a head coaching job. We kind of went through that. But, it, um, you know, the only person I told, I told Hampton uh, before, you know, like a couple of days before I you know, it got to the point where you're like, well, you got to believe he's going to get a chance to become a head coach. 
but you're so focused on, you know, not losing this opportunity. And, um, you know, it's not like Buddy was, he was a pretty personal, I mean, I, I kind of kept things close to the vest. And, um, you know, it, it all worked out, I guess. We'll, we'll, we'll go back to the to the seventies when you got to Chicago for a sec because I, I want to introduce Doug Plank into the into the story. Um, obviously, you you and Doug are the the hitmen in the in the secondary, um, and and Plank when you got he got there from Ohio State a year before you did. Yeah. And Jack Pardee is the coach, and Pardee yeah. is that old school football oh, guy. Definitely old school. I like old, Jack. Yeah, uh, but he was old school. He. He had beaten cancer personally, and I think as a result, he didn't buy any injury. You, you could have your arm cut off, and you go, "Oh, come on, it, you know, rub yeah. it off," you know, flesh wound. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> and he, and he, and and then, oh, by the way, if if being a, an old school player wasn't enough, then he played. For, then he coached yeah. under George. He played and coached under George Allen. So he just, you know, but he, he was he he yeah, got coached by Bear Bryant. Oh, did he really? He played yeah. for. Oh, oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, he. I mean, I really liked Jack. He was a defensive coach too, um, but yeah, he was uh, definitely old school. And then you know, we won uh, in 1977. It was our, the first time the Bears had been to the playoffs since they won in 1963 the championship. Right. And we had to play this wicked game. It's a it's the worst conditions I've ever been in in any football game in my life. We had to beat the New York Giants in the Meadowlands. Uh, and it was a sleet storm. It sleeted the entire game. And, and it didn't matter to the Giants, but we had to win that game if we were going to go to the playoffs. And Walter was trying to beat the uh, single season rushing uh, championship that uh, OJ had. Well, you oh, couldn't right. run, you, could, you couldn't do anything. And it went into overtime and we won. And that is that. Is that a game? Did you did you have a? I mean, you had a lot of hits in your career, big hits. Did you hit Jimmy Robinson in that game? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. For the listener, yeah. you it got was a great hit. It was a great hit. I'd probably be fined fifty thousand dollars today, but it was a great hit. Yeah. It, yeah. I don't think I mean, it was a cheap hit, but it doesn't matter in the NFL today. Right. You know, Doug. Doug and I would be playing for free. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, and the crazy thing about it is. Because Vin Scully obviously is, you know, to me, you hear his voice and you think yeah. baseball. You see the clip and I rewound it. I'm like, that's Vin Scully. And yeah, Vin Scully on the call. And I think his line is, and that's, as you point out, that's the last week of the regular season. He's like, well, you know, for my money, that's the biggest hit I've seen all year. <laughs> I mean, it was a, it was a hit. And yeah, yeah, as soon as you said it in the sleet storm, I was like, you know what? I saw that hit. Um, but I ran, into, I, I ran into Jimmy. I'd never met him. And um, I was doing radio for the Bears. Okay. And he, it turned out he was, I think, on the Atlanta Falcons as a, an assistant coach. And I, you know, doing the radio, you go down the field before the game and talking to guys. I see this guy and I, you know, he kind of looks at me. I have no idea who this person is. But as I'm walking around, I'm looking, going, and I look, and he was looking, and I go, holy smokes, that's got to be Jimmy Robinson. And I walked up for the first time I ever met him. And he goes, a heck of a hit. Um, <laughs> that's cool. You know, that's cool he said that. Yeah. Yeah, it was cool. I mean, you know, there, there is, and it's probably even more today because this is all before free agency. So you didn't have guys moving from team to team, but you know, there's as much as you want to knock the heck out of somebody, you don't want to hurt them. Right. And, you know, you just, you know, I, you get into these, you know, particularly within your division, 
you know, so Paul Kaufman, a tight end with the Green Bay Packers, uh, you know, or a lot of those Packers or Detroit, you know, you, you just get to know them. And while you're not partying with them or seeing them in the off season, there's this mutual respect. Sure. And, um, you know, it's, it's, and you, I think everyone realizes how fortunate you are to be in the NFL. And it's right. just, this is the, it doesn't get any better. And, um, and when you win a Super Bowl, it, it just, it's almost a relief. I mean, that was my 10th year in the Super Bowl. It was Walter's 11th year. Right. And I played 12 years and I had one starting halfback for every game I played. That's Walter amazing. Played. That's I mean, amazing. It's, a, it's amazing. He missed one game in 13 seasons. It's incredible. Well, when you look back at the rosters, yeah, I mean, that, that 85 team, you look at it from the 70s, it's you and him, right? It's you on defense, it's him on offense. And, you know, you can see like the progression of the roster just, you know, a little bit gets built around it every, you know, starting in the late seventies. And then of course, you know, you talk about like the 83 draft, like we did, but did you guys ever just kind of look at each other and go, damn, can you believe we're still here? Like it's all happening. Well, I, I, I kind of look at it a little bit more like when you're in the Super Bowl, and you're like, I've never been here and this could be the only time. And you feel like you're in one of those, um, you know, you have the, salt in the the timer and the sanders is coming through and you're running out of time right and so you know the average is so much below 10 or 12 years and you feel very fortunate but the sense of completion that you feel after you win the championship you know that's that's pretty cool oh i'm sure god um and and it's it's funny and unfortunately, I mean, your, your running mate, Doug Plank, uh, was, had to retire what, like in 82 or 83, something yeah, like that. It was 83. Yeah. So it was Heck not, he hit, he, he hit this receiver in Detroit and, uh, he hit Otis Wilson as well. I mean, it was, that it was a body blow to both those guys, right. but he injured his back and, uh, you know, was put on IR and just never came back. Okay. But I remember, yeah, I remember seeing him say something like, you know, when he was coming into camp, he realized Pardee was like this old school, tough guy. So, you know, I, I was a special teams guy at Ohio State. I'm going to make this team by being like the biggest hitter around. And I, I read a quote that, you know, you said something like, you know, that you owed your career to Plank because you oh, absolutely. Have to play with abandon. You know, you, you don't realize, you know, playing with abandon, it's it's getting comfortable mentally because a lot of times you're trying to overthink or you're, do I do this or that? Once you get, you know, some experience, you're not thinking anymore. You know what you're, you're going to do and you, and it kind of relaxes you a little bit. And um, with Doug, you know, because I was making a conversion from wide receiver to defensive back, my defensive back coach wasn't a real fundamentalist. Uh, And, you know, he, he said, look, I'm a little concerned about you might get hurt. And I said, hey, I, I really need some coaching here. I was a wide receiver in college. And he goes, eh, it's not, he didn't put it this way, but you know, it's like not his thing. And so I learned by watching Doug Plank, you know, my rookie year, I didn't play. I was a scrub, I, you know, kickoff team, punt coverage and all that. But you're watching Doug Plank and you're going, this guy is nuts. And, uh, but it's, it's that sense of, you know, absolute abandonment. You know, you don't care about your body. And you're just doing what, you know, you know, hopefully at some point it becomes natural. I look now in today's games, you know, you can't, 
you can't submarine a, 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 an offensive line now uh, if, if it's a running play. There are all these things. And you wonder, could you make that transition? Well, there are all types of transitions. Before the first maybe two years that I played, you could hit a wide receiver anytime, anytime. Just nail him. And I've talked to Paul Krause up in Minnesota. He has 72 career picks. I bet you 10 of them, 20 of them might have been like a punt return because they already knocked over the wide receiver. And the, you know, and the ball's in the air and there's nobody there other than you to get it. It's just but, the center you know, field. So, yeah, so, so you adjust. You go, oh, okay, you, know, you can't bump after five yards and takes a little adjustments. And I'm sure these players have had to adjust to – you know, hey, everybody wants to protect the receiver. So if you, you know, if you use your head, even though these are great athletes and they act like, oh, that guy's a little dummy. He's not going to move and I, I, I just have to hit him. They're better athletes than you are. They're moving, making all these moves. I'm just throwing my body. I don't care if I fingernail tackle him or hit him great. I'm just trying to curl my body and take this guy out. Now, yeah. wouldn't it wouldn't be, I mean, I'm looking for the day that a defensive back fakes you know, you know the running back comes to the line and then lowers his head and nails you and you you start you know falling and flailing around and they they throw a penalty on the for the running back using his head as a weapon because right. you 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 get 15 yards but they never get 15 yards uh, you know it's funny you say that i have thought the same thing how many times a running back comes through oh, head down absolutely. and yeah and you yeah, know yeah, come on. in my in my era oh well let's see I'm playing Earl Campbell. I had a 33-inch waist when I played football. He had a 34-inch thigh. <laughs> Come on. I mean, the math doesn't work in my favor. I know yeah. that. So By the way, go low or, you know, he's, that's the only time I got knocked out. You know, just – and it wasn't even a good tackle. But he was a brute of a guy. Oh yeah. Well, there's a, there's a clip of, I didn't see the one where you got knocked out, but I saw a hit that Doug Plank put on him. Oh my God. I mean, he, I I don't think I watched Earl Campbell play, you know, in real time and I've seen, you know, plenty of footage. I don't think I've ever seen him with a head of steam get into that second and third level and then just get stopped cold. Like he did on the hit by Doug Plank. And it, 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 Earl was slow getting up. It was, Doug definitely won that battle. It was crazy. I'll tell you what, there would be, there would be times we'd be, you know, out of the game. We knew that we weren't going to win. Uh, you know, you have Walter Payton, you go, how could you ever feel that way? I never actually ever went into a game thinking we would lose, but you got to play really well. But there would be times when we're not going to win this game and Doug would look at me and go, time to start having some fun. <laughs> and for Let's us, go. That was, you better make sure you're looking, you know, because we're coming to get some hits, whether they're totally legal or not uh you're gonna know you play the chicago bears and i think you know i learned that from doug buffone hey we may not win every game but you're gonna know that you play the chicago bears defense yeah and there's gonna be a next game and you want them thinking about it absolutely you know you might say hey these guys are nuts but you better realize these guys are nuts they're they're not taking any prisoners so you better be ready even if the whistle's been blown you better be ready these guys are coming around yeah and well, Peyton, Peyton, you know, right off the bat comes out of Jackson state and on some, you know, okay teams, he's, he's like a star right away, pretty much. Yeah. And obviously, you know, I can remember watching the NFL today on CBS with Brent Musburger, you know, I'm probably conflating stories here, but you know, you'd see him, you know, kind of his training regimen, just, you know, like these insane runs up hills oh, and stuff God, like that. Yeah. 
did you did you ever like train with him or even yeah. you know okay what was not that very like? often because i mean when i lived uh, downtown he lived out in barrington actually okay but more than that i mean he was he just had a different way of, of training and he did our facility was very close to lake michigan and uh, we would run up the ravines and then jog down a uh, an asphalt path okay. and there was um there was a first round draft choice from the Cleveland Browns. I can't recall his name as a cornerback and he idolized Walter and he happened to come up to practice with us in the off season for a couple of days. And the moment that Walter said, Oh yeah, let's just go run some of these Hills. I went, Oh my gosh, we're going to have to run him until this guy throws up. And he did <laughs> finally. I mean, we kept going up and walking down, going up, and everybody's looking at how long is it? Oh, finally, the guy gave it up. And we're like, okay, okay, we finally, we can stop. We got, we got <laughs> him. Was so competitive. I mean, you know, here's, here's a guy who's not even on our team. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I never really hit Walter. Uh, but once I did accidentally in practice where you just popped him too much, you know, going through, a, it wasn't a walkthrough drill, but, you know, you're not tackling. And man, as soon as I did, and I caught him off guard, I went in a huddle and I just strapped it up because I knew he was coming the next time. And he did. He was He's looking uh, for 45. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, sorry, I nailed you, you know, my, my bad. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Um, and I, I, I read a, uh, I read a great um, quote, a little bit off color, but doesn't matter. I'll read it anyway. Um, love to get your reaction. So buddy comes in and he's, starting to put together what would become the 46 defense. It probably wasn't called that early on. And part of it is scheme, part of its personnel. And it probably didn't have the personnel early on. Yeah. Um, but he's putting this in place. I guess, I guess I, I read somewhere that the personnel really started to come together when Singletary was there. Like then all the pieces were starting to fall into place. Um, but I think before he got there, you guys go out to San Francisco for a game and they, they crush you one way or the other. It's not the playoff game in 84. I think it's earlier than that. <clears throat> and you get the ultimate backhanded compliment from Buddy Ryan. I mean, clearly you're one of Buddy's guys. Um, but, but according to Plank, he basically says, you know, the, the, the highest compliment you're going to get from a guy like Buddy Ryan, he basically says, most of you assholes are just dumb football players. You're going to screw up and miss assignments, et cetera. But God damn it, there's two or three of you I depend on to tell the rest of you dumb assholes what to do. And you didn't fucking do it, <laughs> which is Buddy's way of saying you're my guy, but oh, you didn't get it done. <laughs> yeah. You know, it, it, it's funny because you look back and, you know, there are coaches who on the outside, people from the outside looking in go, oh, what a gruff guy, you know, that Buddy Ryan guy. But for us, you know, Buddy was a master sergeant in, World War, in the Korean War. Okay. And so, uh, you know, there was that disciplinarian and he didn't, it, it almost seemed like there were some players just never got over the threshold. I, I feel bad for Dave Duerson. I mean, Todd Bell was one of Buddy Ryan's favorites. And then Todd holds out, no free agency. He and Al Harris hold out in the 85 season. And here comes Duerson, who puts his head down, doesn't say anything, he's the model. He's the model citizen, and he just somehow, it was because Buddy and Todd were so close, Buddy just couldn't give that love to, to Dave as much. And, um, you know, I, I would get pulled up maybe once a month because we had these, a lot of our defenses, particularly as we got to the 85, 80, you know, 84, 85 season, 
we were doing what we call AFCs, automatic front and coverage. And so we weren't calling, hey, run a, you know, uh, a 4-3 zone. We had uh, game plans introduced on Wednesday that for each formation, our automatic front would be based on what they lined up at. And it would switch. So if you were in an I backfield uh, and we were just playing a normal four-man front and playing a zone, if you went to a split backfield, we might go man-to-man and have a totally different stunt uh, for the, the line. So think about that. It's all based on probability. But in addition to having to be physical, you had to be smart. And everybody misses tackles. And thank God, at least back then, the lights were off. And no matter how bad it was, they keep playing back and forth. You go, I did it. I screwed up. Let's move to the next play. <laughs> um, but if you made mental errors, uh, you wouldn't be in a starting lineup very long. Right. So then we started doing it with blitzes as well. So we started audibling and going into different blitzes. So that was really my responsibility to get that to the cornerbacks and in the secondary, and it was Singletary to get it out to the line and linebacker. So we were playing a different type of game where you don't think about that. I always say, oh, this guy's a great hitter and all that. But we were good because we felt that you as an offense couldn't put us in a bad position. And we had audibles. We used to be inside the 20. Singletary and I would blitz the, uh, the, the center guard gaps. And Buddy would say, now, you can't time this. You've got to be there because they're probably going to – throw fade and you've got to get to that quarterback fast so then if we thought there was a real audible we would have the call 99 and then we would switch from that blitz to doubling the wide receivers in the two deep and showing it and you know it was just great to have that type of flexibility where buddy really trusted the players you had to earn it but once you did and i would go every tv timeout, which of course you know there are a lot of them and I would be the guy who would have to send the message, oh, yeah, tell Buddy that the 46 blitz will work. Well, that's Otis and Wilbur blitzing or Hampton and Dent saying, oh, I could run the X stunts, you know? And I would go there and I'd say, Buddy, uh, Hampton, uh, Richard think they can do the X stunt. He goes, who the hell's running this defense? But he listened. And I think the great thing why we love playing for him, he listened and he allowed you that. Now, Hampton and Richard had already set it up. They were already, you know, they – they weren't screwing around. They were pros. And, uh, but of course, Buddy would say, all right, tell them if, you know, if it doesn't work, they can't run it the rest of the day. <laughs> of course. <laughs> I, I mean, great motivation, but you know, he trusted, he listened. And yeah. so many defensive coordinators don't do that. Yeah. He, I, I remember, you know, back like kind of during real time in real time, I remember, you know, people trying to figure out what is this 46 defense. And I remember him saying, we're trying to be the first defense where we dictate to the offense absolutely what, what we're going to run here. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, yeah. and it's just a fascinating construct. Like how did somebody not come up with that before, but you know, personnel scheme, it all had to come together and obviously yeah. he made it work. But you had to have guys who were smart enough, you know, who really could understand. Cause I mean, come on, 70,000 people and you're using hand signals just to talk to the cornerbacks. So that's right. 20 yards away, but all of a sudden I'm changing defenses and you got to know that too. And yeah. so, you know, you, you know, and so buddy would pull me up, you know, a couple of times a year. He goes, Hey, I, I know that film review that, uh, you know, Mike Richardson, he, he, he blew that, he blew that coverage and you covered for him. Well, yeah. he goes, Hey, do your own job. 
do your own job. Now, hey, you know, it was a subtle message, but you know, you do, I think the difference in college versus the pros is that in college, the, if you're a real standout player, you're so good that you probably sometimes cover for the guy to the left or the right of you if you're on the line or linebacker or something like that. And then the pros, you can't do that. I mean, I'm sure the best players, Lawrence Taylor, those guys might do it. But, you know, it's like, hey, you do your job. And, it, and as you get to be more experienced, your complete freedom of just going all out, all out. And you know mentally that you can make the adjustments and you know what you're doing. And it's a freedom that just allows you to be the best player you've ever been once you get to that point, when you stop thinking. But if to be really good as a unit, you've got to be thinking too. And that's the thing that Buddy introduced. Instead of just being in a huddle going, okay, 4-3 zone coverage. It's like, no, you got this automatic front coverage. Remember, hey, they like to do, I mean, guys are saying, remember, they like to do this. Hey, if they're in this formation, remember, you guys are blitzing. And, you know, you get in there going, hey, they were dictating to them what we're going to do. I mean, it was, it was fantastic. And we started out initially, the first game we ever think introduced the 46 was against Dan Fouts in San Diego, and we beat them. And we weren't, we, we shouldn't have beaten them. We weren't a better, they were a much better team, but they just, you know, this is back when quarterbacks were still taking five and seven step drops. Today, the 46, you know, it'd be really difficult because normal formations are three wide outs and, you know, the, you know everybody's getting the ball out quicker than, than they used to. But, you know, when we beat Dan Fouts and the San Diego Chargers, and I mean, it was it was cool. You're like, this thing really works. It's so unique. Yeah. And, you know, over the decades, I've heard like, uh, you know, Archie Manning's last year was with the Minnesota Vikings. You're a Vikings fan. You probably know that. Everybody in the NFL loved Archie Manning. Even if they didn't know him, he just came off as his sons, just really good guys. And so we're running this 46 defense. And um, Archie's telling Doug Buffon and I on the radio, he goes, you know what? I talked to my offensive coordinator. I said, you know, if they run that 46, what we would call 46 blitz, where Otis, the two line outside linebackers are on the same side. And if they blitzed and there wasn't a back to pick up one of those two guys, if the back was on the other side of the field, that meant that the only guy that could block those two was the tight end. So the tight end would take one and the other guy would have a free, you know, uh, free reign to get to the quarterback. And the Vikings couldn't pick this up. Archie got killed. I, mean, I don't know how many, I mean, really, he got hit so bad that we were in a huddle. Going, man, they got it. We felt bad. We felt bad because yeah. Archie was a good guy. But man, it was unbelievable. How I, I I remember and that Archie was going, I told him you ran that blitz to death. And <laughs> you're like, wow, that's, uh, you know, sometimes when you're playing free safety and I played six years at strong safety and six at free, it's a totally different mentality. You're like a mini linebacker uh, when you're the strong safety. Free safety, you have to be passive aggressive because you can't be too aggressive because no matter what, you can't let that running back, you know, get outside of the angle. And uh, but at free safety, you really see things that you don't see it strong. And you could just see, you know what? 
there's no way we're blitzing that they're going to pick this up because the back's in the wrong position or whatever. And you would take like three steps and that guy was going down hard. And it yeah. was like, wow. And then you get in there and, you know, after a couple blitzes are working, going, you know what? This is working all day. These guys are not going to make the adjustments. They yeah. are not going to figure this out. Yeah, yeah exactly right. <laughs> Yeah, that I, I, I remember the game you're talking about. I'm pretty sure I could go back and look it up. I'm pretty sure Archie got sacked 11 times that you game. You know what? I think he did. I think yeah. he did. It was just, it was <laughs> just, just like, I was thinking of that too. I think he got 11 times, but it just sounds preposterous that anybody yeah. gets sacked. That it, was just, it was, that was, that was my senior year in high school. And I just remember you're watching and, and at that point, the bears, you weren't, you know, the bears yet, like you were on your way, you went to yeah. the NFC championship game yeah. that year. This is like mid season. And you're like, Oh my God, what is going on down there? Like you, you just saw it coming together. Yeah. Um, you know, before your eyes. Yeah. That was God, that was brutal. <laughs> um, well, and speaking of that team, so, so Mike Ditka comes in, right. We've talked a lot about buddy. Mike comes in and I, I saw you said, um, that Dicka was the first head coach you had in the NFL who basically said, this is what we're doing. Like we are, we are here. We are going to win the Super Bowl. Probably only half of you in the room will be with me when yeah. we do it. But yeah, he wasn't that clean on that, uh, that language either, Rich. Uh, <laughs> it was the first mini camp we had, you know, most of those mini camps back then were just kind of, Oh yeah, good to get together. And we were down in Arizona and he ran us into the ground. We're like, what the hell's going on here? But the first time he gave the speech, and this was my third head coach. So I'd had, um, I'd had Neil Armstrong uh, and before him, Jack Pardee. I liked all of them. I respected all those coaches. And uh, Mike came in and he, he was only a special teams coach. And not that I knew a lot of the guys in the Cowboys, but they would go, good luck. Like, this guy's a nut. And, uh, you know, you look and go, okay, in business today, it's pretty important. What's your vision? You know, what are the metrics? What are your KPIs? And Mike was the first coach out of the three that I had who really outlined, hey, here's my vision. And uh, our goal is not just to win the NFC uh, Central at the time, not just to win the NFC, it's to get to and win the Super Bowl. And you're like, okay, fine. And he goes, but I'm telling you, as I look at you guys, uh, he, he uses a little cruder language. He says, half of you won't be here when we get there. And so, you know, when I looked at the roster for the Super Bowl, we'd had a two thirds uh, changeover from the time of that speech. So only a third of us were left four years later. And so he was a man of his word and he got rid of some players who were better than the people that stayed on the team but they weren't on his bus. And that's when you're like, hey, this guy's nuts, but he's the head coach. And it started to change when he came. We had Buddy kind of, I mean, I, I think it wasn't like the defense needed to be repaired, but the team needed to be repaired. And, you know, it's, it's interesting in business now, we always talk about how important culture is and all these other things. And you know, you get hired when you're a player to, to speak to a group and they say, well, if you could, you know, try to talk uh you know how our business is like yours how the hell do i know i'm 25 years old and i'm living the life right but you know decades later i look and go wow there you know a lot of these cliches team culture uh, commitment you know they're they're really important they're really important in sports they're equally important and it's just not physical uh in business and so i i really appreciated what mike brought to the table uh 
he he might be a coach who maybe he couldn't uh, continue that type of approach forever because it maybe it just it kind of loses its edge, if you will. But um, certainly for me and Walter and everybody else, hey, you can say a lot of things about Mike Ditka, but he got us to the promised land. Right. And we couldn't have done it without him because what Mike saw wasn't just that we had, we had devolved into the offense and the defense. And in Lake Forest, where the Bears practice, there, you know, there's no fast food place nearby. And so if you're in your 20s, you really didn't, you know, you didn't brown bag it. You might have done that, but we we started buying defensively. You'd say, okay, rookies, you're buying a dinner or breakfast, uh, whatever it would be, usually lunch, and you would just take turns. And when Ditka came in, he goes, hey, I want you to realize that we're a team. So, hey, it's great that you are having these uh, these lunches, but we're not buying lunch for the defense and separately for the offense. If you're buying lunch, you're buying lunch for everybody. And, and, and it was a small thing, but you realize that's where we had gotten to, where we were an offense and a defense and Mike brought it all together. Right. Wow. Okay. Interesting. And, it, and it's funny because you've, you know, you've got these testosterone loaded locker rooms and benches and stuff, but there's probably not a team in the, in the, you know, five decades I've watched football where there were just more sideline drama and people yelling. And, you know, you you think of the Flutie moment and, and I, I think of the 85 season when Jim McMahon comes off the bench against the Vikings on the, it was, I think it was a Thursday night game. It was. And he throws the three touchdowns. And like almost after every one, like he was thrown to a different receiver than the play called for, but it scored, you know, he scores a touchdown and there's, they're arguing on the bench. And it's, I mean, I just love the drama, you know. Oh, it, it was amazing because he wasn't supposed to play or maybe, right. you know, an emergency only. And, um, you know, I think part of that, Rich, was Joe Namath was doing Thursday night game. And no one knew, but that was one of Jim McMahon's heroes. Okay. I, I never saw Jim act any so differently when he was getting interviewed by Joe Namath, you know, during the week. And so we get in there and Jim throws four passes. One of them was dropped for a TD and the others were TDs. And I, everybody was up watching and I just remember at one play, Joey Browner disguised the safety blitz really well. And Jim saw it through for a touchdown. And I came up to him after he goes, how the hell did you see that? He goes, I didn't just felt it. And you're like, wow, this is special. Yeah. And this is, this, this is like, Hey, this is what, you know, all those great Elway and Marino and all those guys, when they get hot and you're in that defense and you're playing well, but they're just, beating you and you're like wow we've got to do something to disrupt this because these guys are in this rhythm and uh and i didn't get to experience it uh like that very often on our side but jim had that ability and just the ability to you know we had so many characters on that team that weren't manufactured they were just real and and jim mcmahon being one of them walter being one of them and then you got guys like Singletary. And I mean, it just, there, there were so many. The Fritz, McMichael. McMichael. You know, and, and uh, it, it, but they were all team. They were all really great teammates. Yeah. 
And I, I saw I saw a great uh, quote. Um, so in '84, you guys go to the NFC Championship game, and San Francisco beats you. They're they're on the way to their Super Bowl win over Marino and the Dolphins, and they shut you guys out 23 nothing. And towards the end of that game, and I remember watching this, Bill Walsh sticks a guard, I think it was a backup guard, Guy McIntyre, in the game as a blocking running back. Yeah. And I, I read a quote from Dicka years later. He said, I forgive easily. I, I'm sorry. I forgive easily, but I don't forget. And the next year, you guys are playing San Francisco. And into the game comes a guy who most of the country had never heard of at that point. William, the refrigerator Perry, he was not a starter at that point on defense. Right. And Bridge comes in as a rookie and he plays fullback and against San Francisco. What was it that was. like in the week leading up to the game? Like when all of a sudden Dicka puts him in the in practice, puts him in the backfield. Yo, Will, uh, it, it was great to see. And then he did, uh, you know, we played the Packers, I guess, maybe the next week. On, I think it was a Monday night game. And he took, I mean, he drove the linebacker. I mean, it was like me going against a 400 pound guy. I mean, it was fun, but it was fun. I mean, it was like, it was so weird, but it was really fun. And, uh, you know, in that San Francisco game in 84, I had two picks off Montana in the first half. And I was like, oh, wow, man, we really own these guys. But McMahon got hurt after we had beaten the Washington Redskins. And so he wasn't available. And we ended up, you know, losing like 23 to six. Or, I mean, it was, and they, they also said, Hey, next time, uh, try bringing your, your offense. So there was all types of, you know, I mean, we were really ready for that game and it was an important game. It was, you know, the fifth or sixth game in the year. And it's like, okay, we're, uh, we're doing okay, but everybody had circled. Okay. This is the barometer. This is, you know, are we going to be as good as we want? Because, Hey, we were crying in that locker room after that uh, that game. I mean, you're one game away from reaching the Super Bowl, and we, you know, we didn't do it. And then we had to take that long ride home. Oh. So, and yet the next year, another one of those Ditka comments where you know we meet for the first time. He goes, "Hey, last year we had a good year, but not good enough." And uh, and from that moment on, he had us. Yeah. And then, so, so you guys were on a run at that point and you go down to Dallas, which is still, you know, Dallas at that point. And yeah, they were, I'd never beaten the Dallas Cowboys. So this is year 10, right? I had right. never beaten the Dallas Cowboys in a preseason, regular season or postseason game ever. And yeah. so, you know, we beat them 44 to nothing. I, I wouldn't come out. You know, the buddy goes out oh, the second unit. I go, no, I got one more series. I've never beaten these guys. And yeah. we beat them really yeah. beat them and that you know i had a uh, a good friend from london come over and i said hey you know what, greg if we win this game against the cowboys i, said, I think we have a chance to go to the super bowl and we went for it for nothing and uh and that was it where you go we have this is it i mean if yeah. you could beat the dallas cowboys we have the chance this isn't you know this isn't uh you know fairyland uh you know smoking too much dope whatever it's like yeah we're game on I remember back when it was still a big deal to be on the cover of Sports Illustrated. I remember Sports Illustrated said blowout and it showed a picture of, you know, you guys beating Dallas. And you I have like, it downstairs framed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they, got, they got Double D, Dave Dewerson and Singletary on, a, on a, uh, a great cover shot. And I'm like, but that's, yeah, 
That was a big moment. That was, yeah, that was kind of the message. That was when like, I think most of America was like, oh boy, here they come. Like this is, yeah. this is real. And then obviously there's the Miami game, the one loss um, where it, uh, somebody was saying, you know, we have the best, uh, first of all, it's a humid night. <clears throat> As you were saying earlier, uh, you know, Monday night games can be tough to get up for because it's just, it throws you out of your rhythm. Yeah. Um, and you've got the best rushing offense in the league. They've got the 28th rushing defense and you guys come out throwing and it's just not, it's just not clicking. And, and, and by the way, uh, Jim McMahon is not the starting quarterback. Right. Right. Yeah. It, you know, uh, I mean, most people don't, most people don't realize it's like, yeah, we lost and they hats off Dan Marino and those guys beat us. I mean, there's no question about it. And, um, but you know, we didn't have our starting, we didn't have our, our starting offense, you know, when you yeah. don't have your, your starting quarterback, but they got us bad in the first half on defense, caught us in some mismatches and, you know, hats off. And, you know, to me, that's the best thing that ever happened to us because you start, you know, we had won 44 to nothing with Dallas, 36 to nothing against the Falcons. We were ready. We were right to be had. And uh, that first half was awful. And, uh, you know, you came back and, well, we didn't think too much about it because we did the Super Bowl shuffle video on Tuesday on our day off. So it didn't take us too much off our swagger. Right. <laughs> uh, right. But, you know, also Buddy Ryan, we used to do those lines, you know, you have to go five yards back, 10 yards back. And uh, we only did that when we lost. And so Buddy was ecstatic, you know, like, OK, we watched that film. It wasn't good to watch. But then we went and ran those, uh, and it was like everybody's like, "Okay, this is it, uh, buddy." Finally got us, and uh, you know, again, you have to do this in the in the, in the pros. It's one game; it's not going to stop us from our goals. We don't want to do that again, right? And that's why you look and go, "Wow, what would it have been like?" I don't think you know. I don't know, but the fact is, the New England Patriots went undefeated and then lost in the Super Bowl. I can't imagine losing a Super Bowl. I feel really bad for the guys who were in uh, the 06 team. You know, nobody talks about the 06 Super Bowl uh, Bears. And, you know, we all get, uh, you know, I get probably 10 letters a, a week asking to sign these autographed pictures. I mean, they're all handwritten and, you know, it's, uh, you know, you have this funny little dialogue with people you don't know, but they really, really admire you. And, but sometimes they'll say, well, if you could put Super Bowl 20 champs, and I'm like, Look, if I lose a Super Bowl, I'm not putting Super Bowl 20. What am I going to put? An, uh, NFC champion? Right. Uh, you know, you put that Super Bowl thing down, it's because you won that Super Bowl. <laughs> exactly. I don't think a lot of people brag about their, you know, AFC or NFC championship. <laughs> right. right. I hey, look at my AFC championship ring. What? Right. What? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So, that it's so, yeah. I think it was, you know, probably a necessary wake up call, right? On yeah. some level. Yeah. Um, and uh, and so then and so then and then there's the Super Bowl, which obviously was you know, pretty much a blowout from, you know, from the jump. Um, I, I, I read some comments you had about that game. I mean, th their quarterbacks, both Eason and Grogan, were just under siege from the start. And so I, I think I read that you said something like, you know, yeah, we just, I just, we just kind of sat back. I mean, the quarterbacks couldn't do anything. Well, you know, I mean, it, it always takes I mean, first of all, we'd beaten them 20 to seven in like the second or third game. So we already kind of knew them, but you know, that doesn't mean anything. Hats off to them. They were a wild card team and they'd beaten everybody, including the Miami Dolphins. 
Yeah. So, uh, you know, you're just more than anything else. You're like, this is it. You got two weeks to get through all this. We've already played them. We know, you know, what their skills are and, um, but you've got to play your best. And I've gotten every Friday, buddy would have us, you know, uh, the game plan summary, you know, it'd be third down, but then he'd have like a couple paragraphs. I framed them all. It, it, every one of them talks about tackle, 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 and they had good running backs. Right. And, uh, and so on that first series, we started their tight end blew his knee out on a pass and they almost on third down, they, it was behind us. They almost went up seven, nothing. And even though they kicked the field goal and you're like, okay, we'll get our act together here a little bit. I, there was something like on the, Superdome score scoreboard like you know 19 out of 20 teams that score first uh have won this you know it's one of those things where you go oh god i, I don't want to yeah i don't want to see that yeah i don't want to see it but <laughs> by the uh the end of the first half something had happened uh with the offense versus the defense some cheap sh- i don't really recall what it was but man our offense was really ticked and so they they started scoring. And then once we scored the first touchdown in the third quarter, you're like, and I knew, uh, again, as free safety, you can see they have this outstanding offensive line. But our defensive line, and Richard in particular, were phenomenal. I mean, it was really fun. And, and Tony Eason, who had really taken them all that way, they took him out early, but he looked like on these – rushes he just started ducking and um you know we had stopped the running game and then you know i got taken out i didn't play the fourth quarter it's the earliest i ever gotten taken out other than the dallas game didn't play the entire fourth quarter and by that time you're kind of hugging everybody and you're going this is it it's pretty cool yeah it was you know you know you're like wow i can't believe we actually did it it's it's a relief it's a you know the monkey off your back, but also it was so cool because of what was going on in Chicago and the fans and, you know, all the nationwide, it's all the stuff that you hope would happen was really happening. You know, John Madden, you know, and, and, uh, you know, you're not getting the, the fifth team, uh, uh, for NBC. I mean, it's like, you're getting the A team and, uh, and it was real and it was, yeah. uh, and, and earned. And yeah. so everybody was enjoying it, but you know, you still always have to remember it only takes one bad performance to screw this up. Oh yeah. I think that Mike and buddy had conditioned us correctly in saying, Hey, second best isn't good enough. Right. You mentioned John Madden, two things come to mind. First of all, you, you were a, a, a four time all pro played in a bunch of pro bowls um, but you also were all Madden three times, which I've just got to imagine as, you know, a defensive player is just the, you know, probably the ultimate honor. Oh, absolutely. Um, and he called me clean dirt. I was, I was just going to say, and, I was, and like, one of the- wow. I, mean, I, I was like, wow, I was, uh, that's better than a yuppie, you know? I was like, wow. I took that as a real honor, clean dirt. Yeah. You got to think about that a little bit. <laughs> yeah, that's right. The, yeah, the yuppie. So Sports Illustrated calls you, you know, like America's yuppie or something like that. But meanwhile, uh, uh, Madden says Fensick went to Yale 
after, after one of your big hits, he says, he just comments, Fensick went to Yale. That's like saying clean dirt. That's <laughs> such a great line. It just kind of says it all. Oh, <laughs> uh, it really, you know, those were, you know, to, to, he and Pat were really just fun to be with. And, uh, you know, John Madden is, you know, today as he was, you know, 20, 30 years ago, he was at the top of everybody's uh, game in terms of, hey, if you have, those guys covering you. It's a big game. Madden is just a, a bigger than life character. And the fact that, you know, he was a great coach as well. And, you know, one of the things that I don't know if it started, but, you know, they always had those renegade guys, right? They were always kind of, they, they loved uh, and embellished the, you know, we're got a swagger and we do things differently. And one oh, of the out things, in Oakland? Yeah, with the Raiders. Yeah, 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 one yeah. of the things that that they, the Raiders did, even, you know, during the 85, 86, 87, was they were allowed, when they were on the sideline, they could sit on their helmets. And, and we were not allowed to sit on our helmets. Buddy Ryan said, I do not want your butt where your head should be. And so Buddy leaves, and we play the Raiders, I don't know, 86, 87, and uh, at home, and it's not just me, and no one talked about it, but we started, it had to be in the 86 season, Buddy was gone, and we started to sit on our helmets, and we all looked at one another, because we knew if Buddy was here, we couldn't do it, it was like a real moment of pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> that is funny, that's great. Yeah, yeah uh, I interviewed for one of these shows uh, a month or two ago, I interviewed Phil Villapiano, and uh, the stories he tells about Manning and uh, Madden and his ability to motivate and, you know, he's just the master of it. And yeah, bringing in these crazy personalities and, you know, making it all work. It's, yeah. you know, it's, 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 it's a, it's a skill, <laughs> no doubt about it. Um, and 85 was a pretty big year because not only do you win a Super Bowl, but you get your MBA from Kellogg which probably not a lot of guys were doing that year in the NFL. Yeah. You know, I had a, a mentor who uh, had gone to Harvard business school and was president of the fortune 500 company. And uh, he said, you know, you can go to business school while you're playing. And I go, yeah, I'll, I was thinking about doing it, you know, after I get done, he goes, well, you know, you can do it. You know, I, I teach occasionally at uh, university of Chicago and you could go there uh, and do it part-time. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll do it, uh, you know, after I get done with football. Yeah. So I, uh, I blow my knee out in a playoff game in my fourth year against the Philadelphia Eagles. I broke my arm opening day, played, you know, missed two games. It, it didn't move, but it, it completely cracked. I knew I had to have my ankle reconstructed, and then I blew my knee out in a failed safety blitz. And so I'm in the hospital, I, you know, I have to have, I, I get operated on the night we come back from the game to do my knee. I told them, hey, how about doing the ankle? They go, no, it's too much work, we'll have to come back. And so I wake up and my entire room is filled <clears throat> with liquor bottles or flowers from fans. And, you know, I got the coaches and my teammates and my mom and dad and brothers and sisters. And then my, my mentor comes in, uh, Bob. He goes, I know it's not a good time to talk about it, but I, I still think you should really think about that MBA. And I was like, you know what I think about Bob right now? More morphine. That's what I want, more morphine. <laughs> but I had to work out, you know, six days a week for six, seven months, came back, made all pro and said, you know what? I got to do it because I'm, I'm living in a parallel life and I, I'm fortunate. 
that all my Yale buddies, whether they played football or not, they're doing some type of post Yale. They're, you know, they're going to med school, they're going to law school, they're going to business school. And I know at some point I got to get onto that path. And so fortunately, you know, I, I take the test and they're like, hey, if I don't score, I don't get in, no big deal. But I got in and I, I decided to go to Kellogg. And so I would go two nights a week. I was single the entire time that I um, was playing football. So I had free time. And so I would go two nights a week and then I would go full time in the off season. And I had one course left that I had to take in the fall of 85. And I knew which one I wanted. I, wanted, I, I waited, I didn't take anything during the summer because I wanted to take this one class. And the guy went on sabbatical. And I was like, are you kidding me? <laughs> So I, I had to go there at, for one class. And so I graduated in the fall of 85. We win the Super Bowl. I meet my wife. And 85 was a really good year. That's a good year. That's a yeah. great year. It was a, really, it was a great year. It was a Super Bowl year. Yeah. And then, and, and then I, guess, I guess two last things. So you, you end up ultimately as running business development at Adam Street Advisors, right? Yeah. Amongst other things that you've been doing. Um, and I read a great quote. You said, when we win a mandate, we don't have 70,000 people cheering. I wish we did, <laughs> but we don't. <laughs> so things do change. Um, but the reason I bring that up is because uh, you, you guys did that 30 for 30 a couple of years ago about the Bears. And it was, it was fascinating because I, I know you do, and, and this is kind of the last point I want to get to, I know you do work um, uh, with the um, uh, Concussion Legacy Foundation yeah. and the study of CTE. You've donated your brain, um, you know, uh, upon death to the to the folks up at BU, and um, to a man, everybody in that interview said, "If you could do it all over again, you would do it." You know, just like the the camaraderie, the the brotherhood, every you know, the winning, um, you would do it. Um, and so I'm fascinated. I'd love to get, you know, some of your thoughts on that. And then also what's being done and what could be done on, you know, kind of the CTE front since you're so involved with it. Yeah. Well, one, I did, I am donating my brain and I don't know why that is such a big thing because I'm getting cremated. So <laughs> I was like, not like the most heroic thing I've done. Right. But I do think uh, Chris Nowinski, who is the, uh, the head of, of our co-head, of the uh, Concussion Legacy Foundation is originally from uh, Chicago. Unfortunately, played football at Harvard and was, um, you know, has been very, you know, instrumental in getting me more involved. And I didn't play peewee football. They didn't have it when I was growing up. But there is a definite uh, connection between the number of years you played tackle football and the probability of getting something. Now, one of my teammates, uh, Steve McMichael, who I was with yesterday has ALS. And I had no idea, but you know, having concussions could have some correlation to ALS. I think that I would still play, uh, but this isn't just about professional football. It's happening in rugby, it's happening in girls, it's happening in soccer. And my daughter played uh, soccer up in Bowdoin. And, you know, they're all yelling, you know, win the 50-50. Well, they've been doing that, you know, well, not wearing helmets. And they're nailing. And, you know, you get, my son went to USC. And those girls in that Pac-12, oh, the hits that they're taking is, uh, is pretty substantial. Yeah. So I'm trying to, I love sports. I'm not trying to curtail that. But I think we're trying to be as intelligent as you can be. And unfortunately for me, 
you know, whether it's Steve with ALS or Dave Dewerson who committed suicide and, you know, his family got some closure because he did have severe CTE symptoms in, uh, in, in his brain. But uh, it's trying to do things, you know, smarter, better, and still, you know, be able to enjoy the sport. Or, you know, this is also a big issue for the military, you know, with all these blast concussions and everything else. So, yeah, um, I'm very pleased to be a part of it, but I hope to get even more involved, uh, you know, going forward. Sure, sure. But, you know, I, I would just, you know, Rich, for me, when Dave uh, committed suicide, I found out from Ditka. I mean, I was at Mike Ditka's golf course. Down, you know, he's a member down in Naples, and he came up and, and gave me the word. I couldn't believe it. I had just talked to Dave maybe a week or two before he had relocated to Miami, but you know, he certainly had changed. But you know, I'm not a doctor and I'm not trying to to play one either. But at that moment, you know, going forward, you can't pretend that oh, this just happens to other people. This happened to a good friend who was a really good guy out of Notre Dame who changed significantly. Right. And, uh, but I, you know, it, it just didn't feel as my, my place uh, to say, hey, you know, you've got to get some help. I, you can't get help. I mean, I, I, you can, but it's not like you can say, oh, I'm going to take some medicine and, and feel better as a result. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, and it's fascinating, you know, the, you obviously played at Yale, you know, the Ivy league, I think the entire league now does not hit during the week in yeah. practice. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I, there's definitely been a push. I, I, I know Chris Nowinski too. And I was happened to go to a, a session with Dr. Ann McKee also who. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I remember them saying, look, we're not saying, you know, don't play, but, you know, certainly don't play until, you know, later on like do you really need to have a kid playing in fourth grade you know the answer is right. no but you know um, a lot of it too and and what you know we've been trying to promote is you as a teammate have a responsibility too you could be very helpful of saying hey you're in a huddle in any sport and you can see whether or not one of your teammates there's something wrong or you're a coach uh you know you 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 can sense that something's not right it doesn't mean that they're knocked out and, you know, you have to get them off of the field. And right. so I, I think that, you know, this awareness of taking responsibility of saying something is really an important part of the messaging. It isn't just, oh, I have to take responsibility. Uh, it's it's everybody could help. Sure. And, uh, you know, we're, we're making progress on that. Yeah. So. Let me ask, let me, let me kind of wrap up by asking three things all kind of in the same category. Always fascinated to hear, you know, from a, a guy who played in the league for 12 years, toughest quarterbacks you faced. And it didn't always have to be, you know, the Dan Marino or the Joe Montana. Some guys, you know, there were just certain QBs who, you know, who was that guy who you were like, oh God, here we go again. Yeah, you know, there were so many, uh, one, I got to know some of these guys. I, I would say, you know, clearly, you know, I'm playing more in the NFC and you didn't play a lot of AFC teams. I'll tell you a great story though. Ken Stabler. So we're inside the 20. We're going to run this blitz that I talked about earlier. And I, I'm as close to Ken Stabler. I could touch him. And he's going through, and I don't know if it's a real audible or not, but he looks at me, he goes, hey, Gary, how's it going? And then he just continued on with, with the audible. And I was like, I was like, this is like cool hand look, man. I mean, this guy is like too cool. And I, I, I you, know, the, you know, the snake was always had such a good image anyway, but I was like, 
dumbfounded that somebody could really do that. And I was like, damn, that is one cool dude. Uh, you know, John Elway, holy smokes. Uh, you know, anytime you play guys like that, Marino, hey, I, you know, Dan Marino, fantastic player. And, you know, when I, when we lost the NFC championship game in San Francisco, the Super Bowl was at Stanford. Oh, right. Yeah. And I, at the time, was going out with the president of Stanford University's daughter. So I was at that Super Bowl. Okay. And, you know, Dan Marino got crushed, but it was his rookie year. He probably thought he'd be there, you know, another three or four times, never got back to the Super Bowl. Right. Um, you know, Montana, I had one of my best interceptions in that 84 game against Joe Montana. And you're like, you know, you get interceptions off the good guys. But Tommy Kramer, I mean, he was a great gunslinger up in Minnesota. Love Tommy. Just two minute a, Tommy. Oh, just a just a fantastic guy. Yeah. And uh, you know, so you know, you do develop. You know, I won't say friendships, but you know, certainly respect. And you know, the great quarterbacks you want to play well against. And uh, you know, it, it's a lot easier when you got four big studs uh, up front because <laughs> <laughs> they they can really help you out. A lot. <laughs> a lot better you know there's someone says oh hi you know this this secondary is you know how do you improve the secondary I go improve the front four and i guarantee you you'll have a better secondary overnight yeah you know? funny what pressure does exactly right, right. <laughs> who, exactly who, right. who were the um the last two i'll ask you are the the receivers same thing you know who were the receivers we were like oh god this guy all day and then also the last one i'll ask you is who are the other safeties that you looked at and said well that guy plays a pretty nice game yeah you know, uh, receivers, I, I think, you know, first of all, I played against the Packers a lot. And so uh, Paul Kaufman was a really capable one. But, you know, you look at the top and it's like, oh, uh, Kellen Winslow. Are you kidding me? That's, that, that guy was the benchmark for, for anybody. He was fantastic. And I guess I can only say, thank God, we didn't play the, uh, the AFC West very often. Right. <laughs> so right. I didn't get to go against him too often. But, you know, the Packers had, you know, Jefferson, you know, that there were a lot of guys like that, but, you know, in terms of receivers, you know, fortunately I didn't have to cover the guys one-on-one. Right. And so it, it's more like, okay, we're going to double them or, you know, James Lofton used to uh, complain to me about uh, cheap shotting. You know, we'd be at the pro bowl a couple of times. He'd go, you know, you get to know these guys. And uh, James says, Hey, why do you have to play like the way you do? And I go, what? I'm just playing the way I'm supposed to play. When he goes, well, you don't have to do like, you know, you're, you're hitting us, uh, you know, plays on the other side of the field. Why do you have to nail me? You know? And, and so uh, there was some, so after that, like casual conversation at a Pro Bowl, uh, the next season, James had an opportunity to just hit me in the ear hole. I mean, I didn't see him coming and he didn't. And uh, it, it made an impression on me. It's like, okay, uh, got to reciprocate and so I think we kind of you know what didn't talk about never said anything but it was like okay um I I get yeah you talk about Doug Plank who I you know he he helped me forge my career so we're playing the we're playing the uh St. Louis Cardinals and a, a wide receiver uh didn't hit me but could have but he yelled in my ear boo I mean he scared the living daylights on him it was weird it was like maybe it would have been a cheap shot after the play or something like, but he didn't, he didn't hit me. It's like, okay. So I go into the huddle and I go, Hey Doug, you get a chance, uh, you know, number 82 over there, you know, 
and it, you know, I didn't have to give too much meat to Doug to get the message. So, you know, anytime you get an interception, you're always supposed to nail somebody. Everybody always had to go after the quarterback. I mean, we would watch that buddy go, Hey, we didn't hit the quarterback. What are we doing? And you'd see like, you'd see like three defensive linemen going after the quarterback. So <laughs> I'm looking for this guy to make it make good. And he was already out. I mean, on, on, you know, the turf. And I knew Doug had gotten him. <laughs> like you said, you didn't have to wave the meat. Well, I didn't have long. to wave. Yeah. I didn't have to make that uh, comment more than once. Um, <laughs> But, you know, you talk about, for me, it's also running backs, you know, great, you know, uh, Tony Dorsett, you know, fantastic coming off tackle. And, uh, but, you know, the guy who really comes up is, is Earl Campbell. So I saw you, I got knocked out in the game. I came back and we were losing the game. So that's when you roll up to safeties. And I think the last three plays, I, I got run over by Earl Campbell. I was like, okay, who's the hammer? Who's the nail? I mean, there was no question, you know, so, uh, Fortunately, we didn't play the Houston Oilers too often, uh, yeah. but he was a great player. Yeah, oh, he was a beast. That that like four or five year window he had. Oh, yeah, I mean um, it, was, it was amazing because he had the speed and the agility. But my God, you know, he just break tackle after tackle. Yeah, um, and then who were some of the safeties on on other teams that you know caught your eye? You know, Ronnie Lott. I mean, I know Ronnie started off as a corner, but, you know, uh, Philadelphia had some good safeties. You know, they always, and even today, I think it's a little bit unfair, but, you know, back in our day, it was the players who voted. And so it, a lot more respect. It wasn't, you know, the fans, uh, maybe you know, the coaches. I don't think the coaches were involved, but it was always, uh, you know, three safeties. So it was like, well, we got, why don't we have four safeties, a backup for the strong and backup for the free? Yeah. And so, you know, that never uh, really happened. And uh, God, who is the really good safety with the LA Rams? Um, went to Kansas. Oh, Nolan Cromwell. Absolutely. So Nolan would, would make it a lot and deservingly so. So, you know, there were a lot of, you know, good safeties. Uh, you know, I think that, you know, to me, one of the really fun things that happened to Doug and I where we played in 77, we played the Dallas Cowboys. We got crushed. I mean, I think it was like 47 to, I, I think we scored, maybe not. And uh, during the warmups, uh, Cliff Harris and Charlie Waters were like at the 50 yard line. They yelled over to Doug and I, hey, you guys, go, come here, come here. And we're like, us, us? Yeah, you guys, come here. So we go over there. I, I, we'd never met them. And they go, hey, guys, we're watching you guys. You guys are nuts on the field. I mean, they, they were really complimentary. And we were like, wow. That's and cool. So we got crushed. Like, I mean, really, we got crushed uh, in that game. But Doug and I are back, you know, taking the plane back. Going, Damn, Charlie and Cliff are watching us. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty cool. Like, you know, that, you've was arrived. Only, that was the only consolation, Rich. I mean, the rest of the game was totally, uh, you know, non-memorable. Yeah. Was that, was that a playoff game? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I, yeah. I remember that one. Yeah, I, I choose not to. <laughs> yeah, right, yeah, exactly. Okay, well, look, Gary Fensick, this has been great. Uh, it has been great chatting with you. Um, I've kept you way too long, and I do apologize for that. Uh, but it's fun, you know, kind of walking through the arc of your career. Obviously, some great stories on some great teams. I really thank you for coming on Chasing Hardware. Oh, thank you. I've, I've enjoyed it. And, you know, it allows you to kind of talk a little bit and reflect on what a great experience, you know, playing in the NFL was and playing for the Chicago Bears. And, 
for one moment in your life when you really do win a Super Bowl and you've got that ring and, you know, it's just like, hey, no matter what, no one will ever argue that for one moment in your life, you were the absolute best as a team. Uh, it's, it's great memories. I just would love to see the Chicago Bears return and win the next Super Bowl. I mean, some people have always said, oh, you know, you'd never want another team to supplant you. Well, it's been 30 plus years. I think we're kind of ready for that. Um, and the game's changed, but you know, hey, the memories and being with my teammates, whether it's Hampton or Richard or all those guys, uh, people don't really ask about how's the 81 team doing. It's always the 85 team and, you know, we're the benchmark. And, uh, you know, uh, it was wonderful to be a part of that team. That's great. Well, Gary Fensick, thank you very much and take care. Thanks, Rich. And thank you for listening to Chasing Hardware. I've been your host, Rich Lumello. The Michael Stanley Band brought us in, and the suburbs with Life is Like are going to take us out. Speak to you next time. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m., and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com